So we're in John chapter 4, and we will be picking it up from verse... Where is it? There we go. Yes. There we go. Verse 43. I knew that. I knew it was 43. Just, the absent-minded professor strikes again. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, this morning as I was uh, teaching class... Uh, at Cal State LA, one of my students informed me that today is National Selfie Day. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought about that for a minute. Yeah, and I said to myself, and I told him, we are a self-absorbed country, world actually. We are so into ourselves. Uh, I said, uh, we're narcissistic and everything is about us, me, me, me. And I told my kids, they didn't, maybe they didn't quite understand it, they're all freshmen, 17 and 18 year olds, but I said, humility is a foreign concept to most people. And I'm not trying to be, sound that I'm righteous and say that I'm humble, because anybody who knows me knows I can have my moments. But I thought, wow, we celebrate a day where we just take pictures of ourselves and fawn over ourselves and such. And I thought, okay, that's society for you. And... It also occurred to me that all that matters is that, again, we look, what we look like to others. That's all anyone cares about these days is how you look. Um, a while back I was at a football game, and the entire game, the, the two young women in front of me, they didn't watch the game once. They're going like this, and then like that, and then going like, oh yeah, that's a good one, and then like this, and like that for, for about three hours. I would suspect it took, probably took about a thousand, couple thousand pictures. Fairly certain. Their phone must have massive amounts of space on it. But I thought about the nobleman. And as I was, as I was informed of that, I was reviewing my study this afternoon. And how it required, he was a, an important guy. I wouldn't say he was a great man, but he was an important man, certainly. Right? And what it took for him to basically beg Jesus for help. Okay? And when you think about it, that's what we should be doing on a daily basis. You know, begging Jesus for help every single day. From the moment we wake up to the time we put our head down to sleep, we should be imploring Jesus right, to, 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 to be there with us, to help us with whatever we need. Um, the, believers, the believer's perspective, of course, uh, should be different. We know who it is that we approach. We approach daily, and you should be daily, obviously, uh, the King of King and Lord of Lords. And you think of the privilege that we have as believers to approach God. Right? We don't, we don't have to go through a mediator, a man, right, to connect us to God. We can deal with God directly. We can petition Him directly. I remember, uh, when was it? Probably late... Yeah, late 70s, uh, when the Catholic Church, I was a Catholic at the time, well, I'll say Catholic, and uh, they had changed after Vatican II, everything changed, and the Catholic Church was more global, blah, blah, blah. And so I went for my usual confession, because, you know, I was a good boy. I went and I confessed all my sins, which were very few, actually, when you think about it. Uh, And I thought I was going to go in a little room where it's dark, and I could sit there like, half a slave while he's, you know, bless me, Father, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, the nurse, the, the nurse, <laughs> the nun, <laughs> I don't know why that said, uh, leads me to another room, and as I walk in the room, there are no walls. It's brightly lit, and the priest is sitting right in front of me. Right in front of me. That's, that was the new Catholic Church. You spoke to the priest directly. There he was. And I knew the priest was Father Bosco. He's a nice guy. But I could not confess to anything. So I made stuff up. <laughs> yeah, it was the usual, you know, I pulled my sister's hair, or, you know, I did this, or I called Sally an ugly goose, or, you know, all that other stuff that kids do. But I couldn't, and when I came to know Christ, I remember asking my brother Henry, I go, so how does this work? If I, you know, if I mess up, uh, I talk to Xavier? He goes, no, you just confess to the Lord and don't do it again. Right? And I thought, that's very cool. But it's also very dangerous at the same time because you have to be careful. You know, I live alone. 
Right? Unless they're bugging the place, no one knows what's going on in there except me and the Lord. Right? So I've got to be circumspect. I have to be pure in my actions every single day. I have to beg the Lord in humility right, that my faith would be strong and that whatever comes my way, however difficult it is, I can deal with it through Him. And so we have again the story here of the noblemen. Um, but I want to ask you a rhetorical question, which means you do not have to answer it directly. Just think about it. How do you approach the Lord Jesus? Okay. Do you approach Him as a whirlwind very quickly uttering a prayer as you run out the door before you get to the car, or perhaps relying solely upon a devotional for your daily bread, as it were. No pun intended, because that is a good devotion. I like those little daily breads. But that is not, should not, should be, that should not be the bulk of your study. You should be making time to sit down and read and pray. Um, I try to. Okay, And I do it in between grading essays or whatever I'm doing. I'll sit down and seek the Lord. And that's how I do it. Uh, I, I got very excited the other day because I, I usually keep my devotionals in the car. When I read a devotional is when I pull up to the parking lot at either PCC or Castle LA, pull it out, read God's Word. So the last thing I have on my mind when I walk, get out of my car is God's Word. I may forget it immediately <laughs> as soon as I walk the elevator if I see a colleague. But that first moment out of the car... And I've got the Lord's Word. Right? And I might have been listening to music or, you know, some... i got to stop listening to politi- po- political radio. It's driving me crazy. Right? But it, it cleanses the mental palate, as it were. And all the nonsense I had in the car before then is gone. Um, but how do you approach the Lord Jesus, my friends? Uh, it should be with reverence, with humility, obviously, and with time. Give the Lord time, most definitely. Uh, and is it with faith for healing? Some of you might need healing. Some of you are going through some very difficult issues, some, some physical issues that, that only God understands at the moment, right? Until He makes it known to everyone else or whatever the case may be. Right now it's between you and your Savior and how to deal with those physical issues. So give them to Him. Um, is it with uh, forgiveness? Right? Asking for forgiveness. I, I, I always you know, tell my, my nieces and so forth. I say, look... You know, as soon as the moment we wake up, we're already sinning. When we open up our eyes, okay? We're already in the, in the process of sinning, and they just accumulate throughout the day. So make sure you come to the Lord for forgiveness. I mean, I'm always asking for forgiveness, whether, you know, I'm not going to say whether I need to, and that sounds kind of arrogant, but I'm always asking for forgiveness. Because I, uh, I know Andrew Montana, and I'm going to blow it any second now, so I'm proactive in that regard. Uh, and, of course, for transformation. Maybe you're lagging a little as far as your walk goes or the the Christian that you want to be, then give it to the Lord. Um, Jesus' miracles or signs, as they're often referred to, uh, they manifest the presence and power of God's kingdom. The very real presence of God. In chapter 4, when a high-ranking official heard heard the reports of Jesus' preaching and miracles, he decided to seek Jesus for help because his son was dying. Uh, tonight we're going to examine Jesus' arrival in Galilee. And I'm not going to get bogged down in the whole debate as to well, what does he mean by his country. I'm not going to get into that. I'm just going to focus primarily on the nobleman himself. Because otherwise that would take, I think, an entire study. Just as I was doing the research, I thought, wow, okay. Is he a citizen of heaven? Is he a citizen of Galilee, Judea, and so on and so forth? So I'm not going to get into that. I'm just going to focus on the message that it has for us as uh, believers here. Uh, anyhow, uh, so tonight the focus is on faith. And again, as I said before, humanity as a whole struggles with that concept also. And you know, you need to understand is that Jesus' ministry, right, at the time is benefiting everyone. The, the servants, the, uh, the servant class, right? The, the working class, the uh, upper, uh, you know, aristocracy. The nobleman was was not a servant, right? Only to the one person above him. Uh, he commanded people, but Jesus benefits everyone. And always don't don't forget that. The other day I was at the, I probably shouldn't say this, but I, I was at Burger King. I have a weakness. I mean. Anyhow. And I was walking in there, I hear somebody go, hey, brother. 
And I thought, was that Hulk Hogan? But it wasn't quite, it wasn't Hulk Hogan. Um, and I thought, who, who would this? He goes, can you, can you buy me a burger? I said, yeah, sure, come on in. You know, I, I bought the guy a burger. He would ask me for money, I would have said no. But the thing of it is, is that, uh, you know, I told him about Jesus when we were both waiting for our food. And I got, I got a chance to witness to the guy. And he listened. You know, and I think he may have actually been, he kind of hinted at the fact that he might have served God at one time. And I prayed for him. You know. That's one big thing that I had to overcome for a long time is praying just when God leads you to pray. You know, even if it's in my office, you know, I'll, I'll have a, a student who lets me know they're a believer and they're worried about the final. And as soon as they say, well, you know, I'm worried, Mr. Montana, that I'm not going to pass. My first inclination, thank you, Jesus, is to pray for them. Pray for them. But right there in the English department, the bastion of liberal and godless thought and I do anyway and sometimes colleagues will walk in or walk by and they're like what happened what are they, what are they doing right why are their eyes closed <laughs> so yeah it's just one of those things and thus far the Lord has protected me you know thank you Jesus for that for sure also as we know so again Jesus' ministry and the blessings that he asked for benefit everyone and I'm reminded of the world that I travel in daily. I'm pretty blessed. I'm a lazy guy. You can ask Adam. I'm a lazy guy. And my world is home and campus. That's it. Unless I, you know, I'm in church. Okay, church is church is important. But the (laughs) the world I travel in daily is home and campus, home and campus, home and campus, right? And so it's small, it's insular. But uh, you know what? There are plenty of opportunities to share the gospel. That little five-mile trek to Cal State LA, the five-mile trek to PCC, in classroom with my students, I share the gospel. Right? I can't do it outright. Right? But I humble myself before the Lord and say, Father, and any way I can reach these kids, please allow me to do so. Because it never fails at once or twice before the end of the quarter. <coughs> Excuse me. A uh, student will come up to me in my office and say, They'll whisper it. There's no one there, and they'll go, "Are you a Christian, Mr. Martin?" I say, "Why, yes, I am." And they'll go, "Me too." Go, Why are you whispering? Don't hide that light under a basket. But they're afraid. They've been beaten down in high school, right? To declare that to make such a confession makes you a bigot or something or other, right? Or homophobic or whatever the the terminology is these days. But what I do, and to share my faith and to hopefully do it humbly, is I usually teach essays on current events. For example, immigration or the decline in marriage and so on. And while I'm up there, for instance, we're talking about marriage, I'll tell them, look, the foundation for traditional marriage comes from Genesis. Right? And they'll go, what's a Genesis? And then I'll explain what that is. Right? And I'll give them scripture. And I'll talk about Jesus, I'll talk about the cross, I'll talk about the Judeo-Christian ethic, and so on and so forth. And they will never get that again. Right? Because most of their instructors will be very liberal. Right? And they'll mock Christianity rather than allude to our roots in Christianity as a nation. But that's how I like to do it. I think the world that I'm in, how am I going to extend my faith to others? So, what about you, my friends, this evening? What is the state of your faith? For some of you, you maybe you're here this evening and it's pretty shaken right now. Right? Or maybe it's stronger than ever. Awesome. Stay humble. Right? Is your faith based on signs and miracles? Because remember, the request of the nobleman was what? If you would just come to my home. Right? And Jesus says, don't worry about it. He's fine. He's going to live. He had to take Jesus at his word, as we'll see. Yeah? All right. So, let's read the text. Uh, John, can I get a bottle of water? Would that be all right? Or something? I didn't bring my water today. Thank you. All right. So, uh, John John chapter 4, 43 to 54. Here we go, my friends. So, it says here, Now, after the two days, he departed from there and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honors in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. 
So Jesus came into Cana of Galilee, where he had made uh, water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come into Judea, come out of Judea rather, into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was uh, at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And notice it's, it's an exclamation. It's an exclamatory sentence. There's obviously urgency behind this, uh, this uh, statement. And then he says, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, the servants met him and told him, Your son lives. Thank you, my friend. Your son lives. Uh, then he inquired of them uh, the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus had said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Okay, so if we focus primarily on verses 43 to 45 at the moment, what they tell us is that Jesus continues his journey through Galilee and finds himself yet again in Cana, where the wedding and the water turned to wine, site of his first miracle or sign, depending on how you interpret it. Uh, here's the thing. Jesus knows the hearts of men. We know that, right? He knows the hearts of man. He is never surprised by man's actions. Right? He's not up there going, I can't believe he did that. He knows we're going to do that. And he also knows that uh, our shallowness is pretty oblivious. Because you think about it. Think about your walk with God, my friends. I was going to say young people, but we're not at Cal State. Right? All right. <laughs> there are some young people here. Um, over there, right? Uh, <laughs> we, how do I put this? We can't, we can't trick God. Okay. We, 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 we can't get him... I mean, sometimes my students can pull a fast one on me. Right? And they'll get away with something. Because I didn't see it, or maybe I'm too old and I just didn't quite catch it. But not with God. And so, when your life is crumbling, or maybe you're dabbling, or whatever it is, whatever you might be doing that is contrary to your walk with Christ, and then suddenly, you know, you're out of... Sync with God. You're not serving Him because you're engaged in something that is keeping you away from Him. And all of a sudden, there's rough waters. Things start happening. Then what do you do? All of a sudden, you're like this. And you haven't read your Bible in six months, but you're going like this now. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. And you think that ten minutes is going to make everything better. Is it? I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But you guys, we've got to do what? We've got to be consistent. So if we try to pull a fast one on God and only pray when we need something, right? remember, God's not a genie. Right? He's not a credit card. Right? Our walk doesn't determine how much loot we're going to have. Right? It determines how righteous our walk is and how we're going to be a light and a witness to this world. And how joyful you're going to be. Right? So if we're not in step with God, then the joy that we should have won't be there, obviously. So, here are the people, and they're very excited. They receive him very well at Galilee. And some will argue, oh, they're just because uh, they know about the miracles and they want something from Jesus. And that might be true, but God can use anyone. And regardless of the motive, just come on down. Right? Like they say, come as you are. He might have purple hair, right? Or, I don't know, piercings all over. Come as you are to Jesus. Huh? He's not going, I'm sorry, you're just too pierced up, too much, too many tattoos, I, I, I can't save you. Is he going to say that? No. Right? But that doesn't mean you can get tattoos and piercings, okay? <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> um, anyhow, so the Galileans, uh, again, they did welcome him based on what they had seen him do at the feast. And it can be argued again that this is a superficial response. You make the, make the call. Nevertheless, here's the cool thing, though is that Christ and His Word, the Gospel, are never sent in vain. Okay? Mm -mm. Never. 
if they have if, if they have not honor with some, right, then they shall have honor with others. So if Jesus comes to somebody and they reject them, there's always going to be somebody who's going to accept them. And he knows. Right? Jesus feels, they don't get hurt. And then go, I, I can't believe that city rejected me. I can't believe San Francisco doesn't love me. Right? No. He knows there's a few in San Francisco who do and who serve him, right? Apologies to any San Franciscans out there. It's the only city I could think of. Anyhow, so again, given the reason why these Galileans were so ready to receive Christ is because, again, they had seen the miracles at Jerusalem. You know, we are walking miracles. You do realize that, right? If you are serving Christ and you are abiding in Him, you have escaped the fires of hell, people. I mean, that is a miracle. Think about that. You have escaped eternal damnation. Mm, that's awesome. And I live in fear of ever going back to the way I was. I mean, I haven't quite matured. You can ask my sister Virgie. She'll tell you that. But I'm not the idiot I was before. Okay? Thankfully in Christ, there's some maturity there. A little. Some. Keep praying for me, folks. Yeah. So anyway, as I said, some of us then uh, have witnessed God's miracles in our lives, right? Very apparent, some in subtle ways, some not at all. Uh, I can honestly say that I don't think I've ever witnessed an actual miracle. I don't think I have. Or if it did happen, I, I just missed it altogether, right? But some people have witnessed miracles. They've gone to the doctor, previous diagnosis was negative, they go, and whatever they had previously is now gone. That's awesome. Right? So God, I mean, that is amazing. Um, regardless, our faith in Christ, again, should be unwavering, my friends. So for us, the application is to study the Scriptures. You know, pay attention to what Jesus did, how he conducted himself, how he carried himself. Study his actions. By doing so, your personal faith, the faith you have in God, is increased. Right? I was talking to Tony, and he said something very cool. He says that every time he comes to church, right, he learns something new. That's neat. And that's the power of fellowship. And that's something i got to work on. You know? I, in being serious now, I work too much. You know? I'm at the point where I don't have to work that hard. But I'm a worry word. I'm always tweaking things. And before you know it, it's two in the morning. I've been sitting there for six hours and I could have been here. I could have taken a break, come to church, but I didn't. Yeah? So let's not be that way. Our faith is increased, right? That's why we study the acts of sitting in a study fellowship, hang out with you guys. That's how our faith is increased. So the result of that, though, that fellowship and that uh, continue to build your faith in Christ is that you're going to be a really powerful witness to those who don't know Christ. Okay? Um, I've told the story before, but it, on campus, I'm always joyful, always smiling. I'm a smiler. Hey, I make my students very nervous. Okay, because I'll have them writing for ten minutes, and they look up and I'll go, and they're like, "Oh my God, why is he smiling?" So they don't look up. They, you know, they, you know, they just keep their heads down. Or if they talk to me, they're, they're talking like this. <laughs> they're not making eye contact, right? But I smile because I'm joyful. The secretaries, they, they, they keep making the mistake of asking me, why are you always so happy? I go, you know what? It's Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, okay, Andrew. Yeah, don't, don't ask him anymore. <laughs> we know. All right. So, again, these three verses are set up. They set up what's going to happen. He's in Galilee. The journey continues. He encounters a favorable response. And through that response, the nobleman hears all the hubbub and comes to see him. So let's take a look at verses 46 and 47. Uh, so it says here, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had, where he had made uh, uh, the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out uh, of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. All right. So initially, the nobleman's decision to seek healing for his son, again, is based on what he had heard Jesus had done, the signs and the miracles that he had done previously. Uh, 
You can psychoanalyze the nobleman all you want. You can say, oh, he's, again, he's, he's just an opportunist, or he did, did genuinely believe that this man from Galilee was going to do what everyone was, said he was going to do, that he was a good man, which we know Jesus is more than, right? But for the nobleman, he said, I'm, I'm going to take a shot. And he didn't live close. Remember, this isn't, he couldn't take a bus or drive there. This is what? I think it said it was 20 or 25 miles, and that's a day's journey. And that's a very dangerous journey, especially traveling at night, right, during those times. Uh, now, the difference here, though, is that ultimately it will be the nobleman's faith in Jesus that will lead to the healing of his son. Whereas he may have heard that Jesus did all these miracles. Oh, cool. Miracles. That's what's going to heal my son. What it's going to end up being is that he believed that Jesus would heal his son. That's what made his son better. So here's something I observed as I was preparing this, that a lot of people never really move beyond the initial thrill, the excitement, right, of coming to Christ. They never really move into a mature relationship with Him because they base that initial joy and excitement you get when you come to Christ, especially if you think about it logically, my friends. If you sit down, right, and irrespective of the life you may have lived previous to Christ. We all have our skeletons and whatever we did, but for some, the closet's a little bigger, right? Nevertheless, if you sit down and you think about it, I've just been forgiven of everything I've ever done, right? Immediately following your conversion, you think about it, that's powerful. I mean, that should, that's really, that should stagger you, right? It should make you dizzy just sitting there thinking, Wow, it's all gone, right? Cast as far as east is from the west. Never to be dug up again. Unless we allow it to, right? Unless we take our eyes off Jesus. So, nobleman, eventually would be his faith, right? And again, like I said, people will will not move beyond that initial feeling of elation and joy and excitement into a more mature relationship. And I've seen it over the years. I've known friends who I thought were strong, serving the Lord, and then they just fall apart. And the sad part is now, with social media, you see it, the whole world sees it. You see your friends, and the things they're into, and what have you, and, 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 and it's sad to you. know, Mary, I know guys who are married, and now single, and it's the girl of the month club for those guys, pictures everywhere, but, you know, and I know they're miserable. I know they are, but they display it to the world. And then they have these moments of you know, epiphany where they say, you know, this, today I'm at church and I, I figured it out. This is what I need to do, blah, blah, blah. Then the next picture is them at a, at a bar with you know, another girl. And they're not holding on to anything. They're not, they're not seeking the Lord. And um, again, they, 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 they thought everything was going to be you know, um, pie in the sky, and it isn't. It's very difficult, right? Your walk can be very difficult sometimes. It can be very challenging. But, you know, you're, you're walking with, with the guy who stilled the waters, right? So you should be able to make it. The trials that we face, I don't like trials. I don't like them at all, but I know they're beneficial to me. And I have to count them as a joy when they happen. I don't want to, but I try to. Right? Again, I'm only human and I do I do. You know, weaken sometimes. But uh, these people, though, right, who lose their faith, as it were, um, that's why I feel that this whole carnival atmosphere of the, and I can't believe it still exists. Well, it's going to exist forever until the Lord comes. But, you know, the faith healing movement, it never goes away. It's just always there. And people go to these churches and they're, you know, and that's why it's so egregious because they're going there and it's it's nonstop. It's like a carnival or a circus. It's just nonstop bells and whistles and explosions and people falling and people getting healed and wheelchairs flying across the room and everything else. That they get used to that. And then they come here and they're asleep within two minutes once Xavier starts talking. They give up. Um, it shouldn't be that way. We have a good time here, don't we? I think we, <laughs> I do anyway. Anywhere I go, I have a good time. But what I'm saying is that such movements, and here's my point, is that these movements, they thrive on the superficial. Okay? 
all surface phenomena. And the congregants of those churches, they're fed a cotton candy gospel that never actually fills them. That's not true faith. True faith, no, you know that they're going to be those dark watches of the night. And while they're on, you know that God is with you through those difficult and difficult moments, be they physical or whatever else. For the nobleman, of course, it's going to be different. He may have come to Jesus, possibly have come to Jesus because of what he heard Jesus can do, but he will soon learn that he has to trust Jesus at his word. Okay? He desperately wanted Jesus to go and physically touch his son. Right? And Jesus knew that. But Jesus goes, you know what? If I do that, he's going to put his faith in what? In the sign, the wonder, as it were. No, I've got to deal with this guy a little differently. You're going to have to trust me on this one, pal. And we know that we petition God daily for family members or whatever it be. And sometimes they don't get answered. Okay? It's the old Garth Brooks song, right? Sometimes I thank God for an unanswered prayer. No, that's a bad example. Forget that. I can't believe I mentioned Garth Brooks at a Bible study. All right. Anyway. He's such a liberal now. Anyhow. Uh, I'm really embarrassed by that. Um, so again, like I said, the nobleman is going to be very different. Now, no doubt this man, right, an important man, he exhausted every means at his disposal. Right to find the cure for his son. No doubt he brought in the best doctors or whatever to, to cure his son, and none of that worked. Position and money had failed him. Right? And Jesus is dealing with a different person here. This is not a miracle in front of a servant. It's a very personal miracle for this gentleman. Jesus would not fail him. His money, his power, everything would fail him, but Jesus would not. Right? But the nobleman had to have faith, my friends. For this reason, our witness has to be grounded. We have to be pragmatic, logical about our witness. Right? I get upset when people label Christians as simple-minded or stupid simply because we have faith. You can have intellectual faith. Absolutely. And you do. You're studying the scriptures. Right? Maybe it's not the best way to describe it. You are a scholar of God's word. Okay? You know God's word. And that's better than any technical manual out there. Or any knowledge or any legal knowledge. God's word trumps all that. Everything I know about writing and literature, it matters nothing. But my knowledge of God's word, that's where it's at. So, the nobleman implored Jesus to come and heal his son. And... This would this move to faith or his move to faith had officially begun. I like what Matthew Henry once said. He said, The greatest men, when they come to God, must become beggars. Two now I was talking with a friend, and he said, You know, there are no more great men in this world. There are no really any righteous people in this world anymore. Um, but I wouldn't say, again, that the nobleman was great, certainly an important guy, but he went any other time. When would you see the nobleman begging for something? Probably never, right? If anything, the men under him or whatever he was in charge of, they were the people begging him for something. But this man of a pretty distinct position is imploring. That means to beg, right, with passion, Begging the Lord Jesus to heal him. He saw something about Jesus. Okay? Now, whether or not I would, it would be grave, you could see how, how did he approach the doctors, if he had doctors come see his son. Did he beg them or did he command them to heal his son or make his son better? Right? Totally different attitude when he saw, attitude when he saw Jesus. So, there is, and there was actually, a sincerity in the nobleman's plea. He did believe that Christ could heal his son. And if I may cite Matthew Henry once more, uh, he says, quote, There was, however, an infirmity in the nobleman's faith. He believed that, God, that Christ could heal his son, but, as it should seem, he thought he could not heal him at a distance. Right? 
So he says, oh, I believe, Jesus, that you can heal my son if you would but come to my residence. All right? So the infirmity or the flaw in his uh, plea there was that he didn't quite yet believe that Jesus could simply say, your son's healed. And I think we as believers, we struggle with that too sometimes. We want to see a physical manifestation of something. And God says, I'm dealing with it on a altogether different plane. But I'm making you privy to it. So don't worry. The results, they're in my hands. Uh, to continue the quote, my friends, uh, he says, um, so uh, Nobleman said, yeah, he believed that uh, he could heal his son, but as it, should, as it uh, should seem, he thought that he could not heal him at a distance, and therefore he besought him that he would come down and heal him expecting that he would come and strike his hand over the patient as if he could not cure him but by physical contact. And then Matthew Henry says, to close this quote, we are encouraged to pray, but we are not allowed to prescribe. What does that mean? In other words, we are encouraged to pray, but not to demand that God do something. Okay? You have faith in God, just give him your petition. That's it. Drop it off, give it to him. But don't say, Lord, this is how I want it to work out. This is what you need to do. Then he's not going to hear you. We don't demand of God. We don't prescribe of God as Matthew Henry wrote. Right? So, in other words, he says, Lord, heal me. Right? But whether with a word or touch, thy will be done. Okay? The nobleman would learn that, yeah, God could certainly go down. Right? Jesus could certainly go down and touch your son and heal him. But just as easily, he could just say it, and it would be true. And God's will would be done, your son would be healed. And, you know, that is hard for us, isn't it? It is hard at times uh, to trust God that way. And, you know, I just pray that I become more mature every day in Christ. And I may be a goofball, just who I am all the time. But in Christ, I hope I'm that mature individual. So we should be presenting our faith to the lost and a dying world in the same way. As we, as we, wherever you might be, where you're retired or you're working, whatever the case may be, make sure that they see your faith in Christ. And it's not all bells and whistles. Make sure you give them the gospel in its simplest form so that they understand it. And they're not thinking, oh, as soon as I come to Jesus, I'm going to be rich kind of thing. Because some people do preach that sort of nonsense. All right. Let's look at verses 48 through 50 now. Uh, it says here, Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Uh, I lost my place. All right, yeah. Uh, the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. So, Verse 48, from what I've studied and I'm pretty convinced, was not necessarily a harsh rebuke to the nobleman. Okay? The nobleman had to humble himself, and Jesus likely said this to see, in some cases some have argued, to see if his faith was in earnest. He goes, I, and, and we don't know the vocal inflection that Jesus used, right? Uh, he could have said, you know, unless you guys see a sign, you guys just don't want to believe. Right? Or it could have been, maybe he kind of was a little more stern. I don't know, but I see it as him saying, you got to trust me here. Right? Whether I touch him or not, something's going to happen if I will it. So, if the nobleman had turned away discouraged or had become irritated, uh, this would have proved to Jesus maybe he was insincere. You know people like that, right? When they don't get their way, they pout. Right? I, it is true, we are an entitled society now. Everybody wants something. I've seen people, videos of people uh, at checkout lines, and suddenly, I guess, whatever their you know their their social assistance card, their EBT card is out of money, and they freak out. You know, and it's, I feel sorry for those people. You know, it's like wow. You know, you you need the Lord. You know, and if you run out of money, the Lord will take care of you there somehow. There's, the Lord always brings somebody into our lives. But um, here, the nobleman, if he had turned away in anger, then Jesus was, okay, I guess he didn't really want me to heal him, right? But Jesus knew his faith. He could see. He perceived his faith, right? And sent him home with the assurance 
that his prayer had been heard. Look, it's very simple, my friends. We're not perfect. Not one of us is. But if we are serving the Lord, he hears your prayers. But are you serving him? Are you reading every day? Again, how do you approach the Lord? Is Is it in a rush? All right. Or is it with time well spent? But know that if you are serving Him, you're abiding in Christ, He hears you. He knows and He he takes into consideration everything you you tell Him about your situation. And then He will act in His will. And we we rejoice in whatever His will is. That's why people think we're wacky. Because sometimes God doesn't heal. Sometimes God takes people home. And then they see us and we're joyful. Like, what? I don't get it. It's because you don't know Jesus. Right? That's why our witness is so important as well. Sharing that faith. Um, Some have asked, of course, that... um, Oh, uh, let me backtrack a bit. So it's probably uh, not easy for the man to leave Jesus, right? And go back home with the assuring word that his son would be healed. Some have asked, couldn't Jesus simply have gone to the man's house... And touched his dying child? Of course he could have. He could have done that. He could have transported him there if he wanted to, right? I mean, this is, this is almighty God we're talking about. But the court official believed in Jesus, and that was important. This, you know, this, this nobleman had to believe in Jesus. He had to have faith in Jesus. And in this fashion, he was saved, and his whole household was saved as a result. And he had to trust Jesus at his word without doubt or hesitation. For the world seen is believing, isn't that right? The sign. We all want a sign. Seen is believing. Uh, But for the Christian, believing should be enough. I don't have to see it. I'm just going to believe that the Lord, right? I can trust him with what I've petitioned him for. And he'll answer me in his way, in his time, in his will. So, therefore, Jesus' gentle rebuke was necessary. It was a mild rebuke. It was just kind of reminding him, look, don't trust in these signs. Trust in me and what I have to say to you. That's where it's at. Uh, And if your faith is based on signs and miracles and what have you... um, my friends, it is by no means a complete faith. You need to understand that. So, Jesus declares that the nobleman's son will live. The nobleman is now at a crossroads. A crisis of... Uh, what is it? A crisis of faith. Yeah. Is that how Wearsby described it? I know I wrote it down somewhere. Anyhow, uh, there is definitely a crisis here going on. Uh, the nobleman... Uh, uh, he can believe that Jesus healed his son and go back home, right? Or he, he can continue to implore Jesus to, just just this once, just this once, please, come visit him. Um, the bottom line is, again, is that it all comes down to faith, right? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The nobleman took Jesus at his word, went home, and found his son alive, right? So should we. Take Jesus as his, at his word. What's his word? Right here, my friends. All right? Take him at his word by reading his word. Right? By getting into God's word. By sharing his word with your friends. And just being a light and a witness. Right? Like I said, I take every advantage to be a light to my students. Um, if if, if, if the, the subject matter allows for it, I'll tell them about Jesus. Right? And if it doesn't, I'm not going to force it. Right? God will give me the opportunity when it's there. And same with my colleagues. Right? Sometimes we're sitting around and we're talking about things and I'll mention something and I'll and mention scripture. And like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I mean, when I was a student, we used to talk uh, about biblical allusions all the time because they're all over literature. Okay? All those writers, Shakespeare, Milton, Tennyson, they all alluded to the Bible in all of their writings. Let's look at the final verses, 51 to 54. It says here, uh, And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, uh, Your son lives. That's pretty good. Uh, then he inquired of them, 
uh, the hour when he got better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the uh, father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus had said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household. This is the important part. The fact that Jesus said it, and it happened, led this man to faith in Christ, his salvation, and as a result of that, his entire household. And the power of faith and belief in Christ. This is again uh, the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea and to Galilee. So the nobleman's son experienced an instant healing. It's not going to happen for all of us, my friends. Okay? Jesus the great physician does heal right, at his will. Right, so we have somebody. We were all praying for our friend John, but God decided to take him home. Okay? We're not bitter. We're not angry with God. We understand. Right? We're the ones who should be pitied because we're still here and we face the prospect of, of two very bad candidates for president. Okay? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, I like the guy, but I don't know if he's presidential material. Uh, so, I got to stop listening to political radio. I'm telling you, it's driving me crazy. So if you are serving Christ faithfully, my friends, you are proof of and evidence of God's love for us. Okay? If you're serving him, you are a miracle. Right? Again, you have escaped the fires of hell. Think about that. Share your faith. Share the miracle of salvation with others. Right? Go out there and whoever it is, talk to people. I like to talk to people. Like I said, I'm a smiler. And again, that, these days that scares people, but that's okay. <laughs> but I don't have that scary beard anymore, so it should, you know, it should lessen the impact of the smile. It's like the Cheshire cat, always all his teeth, right? <laughs> The nobleman and his family were saved through their faith in Christ. But think about it this way too. He did not force salvation on his family. Okay? You're all saved. That's it. No. They came to know God, uh, Jesus. Right? They came to faith as a result of the, their father and husband or whatever he is. Whatever role, capacity he played with those people. By his faith. Okay? When, people, when you walk into a room, how do people react? Okay? Uh, this was a thousand years ago when I worked at a law firm in the mailroom, but uh, it could get pretty rock, raucous in the um, cafeteria. And, uh, you know, there were all the guys in there and they were doing their usual shtick and so on. And as soon as I walked in, they would go silent. And I'd say, Lord, you're in this room. It's not me. I'm an idiot. Jesus is in that room. Because they're going to be quiet. They, know what? they knew I was a Christian. Okay? And if they'd go silent and stop with the dirty jokes or whatever it is they were doing, that's because they knew Jesus was there. Not Andrew, but Jesus. So be a light, my friends. And so, if I may paraphrase Warren Wiersbe, uh, the noble one went, ah oh yes, here we go. The noble one went from crisis faith to confident faith to confirmed faith. Crisis faith. What do I do? Do I believe this guy and go home? Right? Or do I pay him? Do I bear? What do I do to get him to go to my house? That crisis faith, right? So he went home, which did what? That wound up leading to a confident faith. Why? Because Jesus said what he was going to did what he said he was going to do, and that confirmed his faith in Jesus and led to his salvation and his family. So I close with this, my friends: that God's mercy shows His generous love. A love in response to our misery and wretchedness. Think about that. God's mercy shows His generous love for us in response to our misery as human beings and our wretchedness as human beings. Okay? Fallen state. Yet He was willing to give His life for us. So what about us? And I want you to think about this. Is there an area in your life where you need to be healed? Are you trusting God for that? Right? The healing may not come in the form of a miracle. It may require medication. Don't be afraid. Trust the Lord. If he has a doctor and the doctor is somebody, then pray for the doctor. The guy would guide the doctor, the nurses and so on. 
Whatever you got to do, but trust in the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Um, perhaps you need to be forgiven. Okay? Maybe your walk hasn't been what it should be. Okay? And for the record, I'm not a priest, so you don't have to come up here and confess afterwards. Okay? <laughs> Because uh, I may be, I'm an English professor, but sometimes I'm a priest. My students will come up to me and say, well, I did this. I'm going, what? Don't tell me that. Hold on. I got to call security. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're, 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 you're part teacher, part priest with the kids sometimes. Uh, or perhaps you need to be transformed. Right? Maybe you came to know Christ, but you're still stuck in first gear. Right? Get out of that first gear. Keep growing as a believer. And... Even perhaps um, you need to be restored. Okay? Maybe you've walked away, you've come back, and that restoration is something that you need, then trust the Lord for it. If you seek the Lord with trust and the hope of faith, I'll tell you something, my friends, He will not disappoint you. He will meet you more than halfway. He will. And He will give you what you need. Now, you want... But what you need, my friends, the Lord Jesus never refused anyone who put their trust in Him. Right? He doesn't look at you. He doesn't look at me, right, and say, "Ah, he's already got a degree. Ah, he doesn't need anything else. He's fine." Oh no, Jesus, I need you. No, I do need you. So surrender your doubts and fears, my friends. Your pride. Right? Some of us have a lot of pride and guilt. Oh, that's a killer. Right? You're walking, then you blow it. How hard is it to, after you've blown it to humble yourself and pray? There's no one in the room, but you know God is there. You know He's there. He's listening to you, and you've got to confess and make it known that you're sorry for what you did. Don't put yourself in those situations, but if you happen to stray and something happens, don't let the guilt keep you, right? Lay it all at His feet. Trust in His saving word and His healing love. And if we do that, friends, if we are, we have the faith like the nobleman that leads to salvation, when we do that, we present faith, true faith, to the non-believer, which is what we should be doing. Let's pray. Father, we come to You in the precious name of Jesus once more. We thank You, Lord God. And I pray that You would just... Continue to work in us, Father God, as frail as we are, Lord God, that our faith would not waver, that we continue to serve you in every capacity, Father God, and that whatever you have for us, Father, we would be content, dear Lord. And uh, again, to the world, Lord God, we would be that light and a witness. And so I leave my brothers and sisters in your hands, Lord God, for healing, for forgiveness, Father God, for, for the, uh, the removal of guilt, Lord God, for transformation, restoration, uh, whatever it is they need, that they would seek you in faith, Father God, knowing that your will will be done in their lives. So we thank you, Father. I ask, ask you to take everyone home safely. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.